Hello, and welcome to In Person, where we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. In case we haven't already met, I'm Brandon Rappelson. In today's episode, we speak with Karina Bauer, the CEO of IMEX. Every year, IMEX produces what are largely regarded as the top trade shows in the world of in-person experiences, with their largest events occurring in Las Vegas and Frankfurt. Karina first joined IMEX as a marketing and operations director, and then was appointed the CEO as IMEX expanded from Europe to America. Beyond IMEX, Karina is extremely active in and outside of the events community and has the credentials to prove it. She's been named several times as one of the 25 most influential people in the meetings industry by Successful Meetings Magazine. Karina was twice named one of the top 25 women in the meetings industry by MNC Magazine. She's held numerous positions at MPI. She is a winner of ICCA's 2018 Inspirational Woman Awards and is a member of the board of directors at the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. In this episode, we take a behind-the-scenes look at IMEX and discuss working with event partners towards sustainability, supporting mental health in the workplace, and finding a really good cup of coffee in Las Vegas. It was a wide-ranging conversation, and I think you'll really appreciate it. Let's get to it. We're honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here with you. So we kind of chatted about this already, but we're taping this episode right now. In two weeks, IMAX Frankfurt is going to be kicking off. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm very excited. Always excited before each of the shows. Every show is different and exciting. And we always, I think if you're in events, you at this stage of the game, you're keen to get on site and just see everybody and, and get it done. So that's how we're feeling at the moment. Perfect. Um, so I'd, I'd love to start off with just a little bit of the backstory because you have a very, very interesting one. So flashback to 1998, you graduate from the University of Oxford with a degree in politics, philosophy, and economics. And then you go on to open a wildly successful coffee chain. How? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I need to give my father credit really for opening the coffee chain. It was a little bit of a dream that we had as a family. We came out to the U.S. quite a lot because obviously he's uh, been in this business for most of his career. So our holidays were spent around industry conferences. Um, and so we saw kind of the start of Starbucks and thought, well, why, why can't we do that in the U.K.? So we did it in the U.K. And he actually launched that coffee shop chain just as I was leaving university, just a couple of months after. And then I started with him about six months after that. So I need to give him credit for starting it. And then I put a lot of hard grafting to building it with him. Excellent. So I think it's really interesting that after you ended up selling the, this, this coffee company, you took some time off. That's right. And um, you went over to Italy. I did. Yeah, I had a really nice time. I took <laughs> about uh, five, six months off and did something that I always wanted to do, which was a ski season in Italy and looked after school kids who were coming out skiing and just had an absolute blast doing that. So highly recommend doing something like that uh, for anybody who ever gets the chance. What were your, your feelings leading up to that? Because it was uh, a, a time where you're sort of taking a six-month sabbatical away from the, the work that you were building up in the UK. How did you feel? 
Um, well, excited because, you know, launching retail shops over such a quick period is really hard work. And, you know, I really put everything into that and didn't really, hardly had any breaks, really. So I was tired, you know, and I, um, I was excited to go and do something totally different, fun, and just consider what I wanted to do. What I knew that I didn't want to do was go back into retail and catering. So it was an amazing experience and I learned a huge amount from it. But one of the things I learned was that that wasn't really my passion, even though I had thought going into it that, that it sounded amazing and building a brand and, you know, coffee shop, what could be better? But actually, I learned that that wasn't my passion. And so kind of near the end of that period, it was um, much more difficult because I was trying to work out then what to do. And all I knew was that I didn't want to do what I had built up experience doing. And I was lucky I was still very young, but I think, you know, people go through it, a career change at whatever stage. That's quite a scary time. And so I was very lucky, really, to fall into IMEX in a way. Sure. So you had a, a great time in Italy. You were looking after kids for some time? Uh, yeah, not my own, obviously, at the time. But yes, yeah, so uh, what I did, I, I um, we call it like wrapping a hotel so I would live in this hotel and any school groups that came into that hotel uh, with my company were mine to look after. They were my responsibility. And so I would kind of look after them and the teachers, obviously, and make sure they had an amazing week skiing. So would you be guiding them on the slopes? No, I wasn't actually, which was one of the wonderful things about the job I had, which was that the kids... Um, were and not my responsibility um, on the slopes they had ski lessons so what that did that enabled me to ski for most of the day whilst they were in ski lessons so I started off as kind of like an intermediate uh, tourist skier and ended up at the end of the season taking my ski instructor qualification oh, so fantastic. I, that was like a really amazing it, it wasn't because I was ever going to become a ski instructor but to have that focus and to be able to kind of develop those skills I really really enjoyed that Fantastic. And are you still able to get off to the slopes? Yeah, usually just once a year, but loving at the moment that um, Site Society of Incentive Travel Execs have events now in ski resorts in America and Europe. And so really super grateful to them uh, that I can do a bit of extra skiing in the season. Okay. So you have this wonderful interlude in Italy, taking a break from your career in retail, sort of uh, thinking about the next next steps, uh, you end up uh, coming back to the UK and working with IMEX. Could you tell us a little bit about that story? Absolutely. So my father, Ray Bloom, obviously, he's been in the meetings, events, exhibition industry since the mid 80s. He sold his previous exhibition, EIBTM, to Reed in 97. And then in um, 2001, he announced to the industry that he would be uh, launching a new show in the industry, which was IMEX in Frankfurt, with the first show taking place in 2003. So I came back from Italy, sort of May, June 2002. I was looking at, you know, what I might do and wasn't uh, focused at that point about exhibitions or getting into the meetings and events industry. But it just so happened that one of the launch team got ill at that time and she wasn't able to carry on working. She is back with us and one of our key members of the team now. But I really stepped in to take on her role. 
And that was an amazing experience because I really didn't know what I was doing at all. But we, we had a really great team um, who were very experienced. And I was able to take that on and take on, um, you know, all sorts of the initiatives and projects and marketing, many of which we still do today. And I promised her that when she came back to work, I would go. Um, but we're both still here at IMEX. And I think what I did find was um, from having done retail and catering and then knowing that that wasn't for me, I really loved this industry. And so that was great, actually, to have had that experience because suddenly I knew that I found something that I really enjoyed. That's fantastic. And of course, you're with IMEX, IMEX Frankfurt, and then as it expanded to the U.S. as well, IMEX uh, America, Las Vegas. Now, I think the majority of our listeners by now uh, should be pretty familiar with the IMEX brand. But in, in case they're not familiar, what are they missing out on? I mean, I guess the best way to explain IMEX in Frankfurt and IMEX America is that they really are kind of the meeting and melting pot uh, for the global meetings, business events, incentive travel industry. So what we do really is bring the whole of the industry together, all the very subsectors, if you like, into that week. And they're both very global shows in terms of the buyers who are there and in terms of the suppliers who are there. Like I say, we, we have partnerships right across the industry. So you do have all kind of sectors represented. And you also have all types of suppliers represented. And then we have a really strong focus on what I call our extracurricular activities, be that networking and parties or really enormous education program now. Um, with really specialist education, so say corporate planners or 101 sessions or high-level leadership sessions or sustainability. So we, we just really cover all aspects of the industry. And I think the thing is, when you're bringing together an entire industry like that, there's an amazing sense of excitement when people come together like that. So, you know, you're talking about 14,000, 15,000 global professionals coming together. With all with their different objectives, but at the end of the day, they want to learn something, they want to do some business, and they want to really feel like they know where the industry is going. So hopefully that's you know what we aim to do. And and you know, that that's I think is why there's a really great atmosphere around the show. For sure. And although I have not attended myself, I know many people who have in the past, uh, it's always been a really rewarding experience for them. So I I can attest to that secondhand. So IMEX, you've been involved with it since around 2005. How has it evolved over time? Yeah, I mean, it's evolved enormously. I mean, obviously, as um, a small business, when we launched IMEX in Frankfurt in 2003, there were about 20, 15 to 20 members of staff. Now we've got 65 members of staff. And I think that's really reflected in the depth of what we do. So, you know, for us, it's really been about aiming to drive the market, but also responding to the needs of the market and really going into depth on everything that we do, whether that's the way we support our clients in a partnership model, whether it's the way that we work with industry partners, our policy forum events, and what we do around sustainability and diversity. So in each area, I think what we've done over the years is really evolved and to be really the best in the business, if you like. So that that's our aim, really. Um, and if you come to the show, whether it's for business 
or whether it's for education, that you can really get the top quality experience in that. So that's really how it's evolved. Obviously, the shows, you know, we now have a show in America as well as Frankfurt. The shows um, have grown massively, <laughs> you know, in that time. But I think for us, it's about more than those numbers. It's about that quality of experience and allowing people to sort of a personalized experience. So, so whatever they are interested in, there, there'll be something for them. And I know sort of as uh, a backbone for many events, there is a theme component to it. And uh, going into IMAX 2019, the theme is imagination. So what does this year's theme have in store? And could you tell us a little bit about the history of previous themes? Yeah, absolutely. So it's something actually we started three years ago. I mean, they're always a loose theme, but we really decided three years ago, let's really anchor the shows and all our sort of efforts uh, in a year around a really strong theme. So the first one we did was purposeful meetings, uh, really looking at how you create strategic uh, meetings and business events and really align them to the strategy. And that was broken down into a number of areas from neuroscience to sustainability, you know, so all, all the and also meeting design, for example. So looking at all of those areas, and that had a massive impact, not only on the industry, but actually it had a massive impact on our own thinking, because we did this research, we spent a year talking about it, and then it really led us to look at our shows and say, well, are we really purposefully designing the shows in the best way? So it led to us making a lot of changes. Last year, we had a theme of legacy, which was an amazing theme. And so many of the exhibitors were really able to get behind it and promote themselves and what they do in their destinations or in their companies to really leave an amazing legacy. Or what individual, say, association conventions do in a destination and to leave a legacy based on whatever their subject matter is. So that was really powerful. And then this year, imagination, it's a very big theme, but we're really enjoying it because it's allowed us to kind of ask the industry, you know, what if, what if we didn't use plastics anymore in the event industry? What if we worked with our competitors to actually transform um, a topic? You know, and, and I think that's really liberating to be able to just say, you know, we used our imagination and you, we can all use our imagination. And, the other thing for us is that we wanted to showcase the fact that, you know, everybody talks about digitization and automation. And there's obviously a concern around automation in the future. Like, what will the jobs of the future be? But actually, imagination is a uniquely human ability that a computer doesn't have. And so I think that was the other thing that we wanted to bring out and say, actually, you know, this is unique to humans. We have imagination. So what can we do with it? And this is where we differentiate. And that's also where, as event professionals, we differentiate as well, because you've got to use your imagination to really elevate that event experience. So lots of different reasons for doing it. We have, again, really looked at the shows and said, well, how can we make, to really bring this out? So we have a new uh, park feature in our food court. We have a whole new discovery zone in all nine of the show where people can go and really play with some cool tech and, and also um, have some really fun experiences, be that silent disco or painting parties. 
we've also got an imagination wishing tree where people can go and write down their what if and their big idea. So you've got a lot of different things. And later in the year, we've also got some research coming out around this theme within the business events industry. That's fantastic. I mean, just hearing you describe some of the features, the the stations, the activities that are going to be there, it makes me think of the uh, relationship that you have with uh, C2. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this year, we're not working so closely with them. But yeah, they really pushed us. Last year, we um, did develop a relationship with C2. And, you know, everything they do is really asking, well, what if? Like, why are we doing why do you have to do a business event in that way? Why can't we do it in this way instead? And, you know, I went to C2 last year and it, I, I think the key thing that they do and that they did was create a really enjoyable experience. So it wasn't that everything is perfect all of the time, but the whole experience is fun and surprising and different and exciting. And that's really, you know, in terms of looking forward in the industry, At the end of the day, live events, business events of whatever type, you know, uh, they have to really surprise and delight your attendee to be memorable. And that's what attendees of the future, I think, do already demand and will demand even more from event professionals, which is, you know, I can make contacts online, but I can't have an amazing, memorable experience online. So that's got to be the differentiating factor and imagination, you know, is key to that. Definitely. Well, another thing that really strikes me about IMAX, you sort of mentioned this as is coming up in an earlier theme, but I think it's it's been with IMAX since is your commitment to sustainability. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something our sustainability program is something that we have been committed to since 2003, since our first show. So we've built it incrementally over many years. And um, but yeah, we're very proud of the fact that now, you know, our um, Frankfurt show is powered 100% through um, renewable energy, hydropower. We don't send anything to landfill in Frankfurt and, and actually um, waste that is incinerated then is cleaned and goes into power the local community. Obviously, we're lucky to be working with fantastic facilities within that area to be able to do that. But we also um, have looked at everything that we do. So we cut out printing a show catalogue, for example, which I think saved like 25 tons of paper for each show. Uh, this year, for the first time, we won't be printing delegate bags. We've looked at all our signage and said, right, how do we take plastic out? We, we work with our suppliers on site to make sure that all the um, service way, you know, from the catering outlets is compostable. So all of those things, and, and then also, you know, things that people don't see, like looking at how the waste is sorted back of house so that it can actually be diverted away from landfill and it can be recycled or repurposed. So it's not perfect, but I mean, all these things make a big difference and we measure the impact both in Frankfurt and in America. Um, So we know what we've achieved each year and then we can create goals for how we want to improve that the following year. And we work with all our partner hotels, our general service contractor, transportation providers, and to try to do that. And we're also really grateful to Costa Rica, one of our exhibitors. They offset all the flights that hosted buyers take to both of our shows by planting trees in Costa Rica. So I'm actually visiting Costa Rica at the end of the year for a family holiday. And I'm 
really excited to go and visit the IMEX forest. <laughs> Fantastic. And then, you know, we try to live that in the office as well. And we do a lot of recycling and sorting of waste in the IMEX office as well to make sure that it's not just something that we do when we get on site. Say I'm a, uh, I am an event marketer and I'm looking to get a user conference off the ground. What's maybe one baby step I could take towards this path of sustainability? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because actually you're right. It is about taking the first baby step and then building on top of that. And I think one of the first things to do that really makes an impact is looking for a venue and being consistent about looking for a venue that is going to help you achieve some sustainability goals. Because I think that's also important if buyers are going to destinations and venues and saying, I only want to use you if you have good sustainability credentials that will push destinations and venues and that supply chain to actually invest in that. So I think if you're taking a tiny baby step, that would be the first thing to do and to make it contractual as well. And then after that, you know, it's just about picking one thing that's relevant to you and your event. So maybe you can work with the chef around the food and choosing products maybe that have less water content. So, you know, turkey burgers instead of beef burgers or that come from the local area. Or maybe if your event uses a lot of printed materials and plastics, you could look at that like alternative um, products or what could you reduce. So I think there are actually a lot of baby steps that can be taken. And I think that's the key thing, not thinking, God, I can't do all of these things. But knowing that an organization like us that has a really deep and integrated sustainability initiative. We built that over like 16, 17 years. It didn't happen in one day. And we were only able to do that by taking a baby step each year. Something that stands out about the plan that, that IMEX has for sustainability is the fact that you have so much buy-in from partners and sponsors. How did you bring that to the table and convince them it was a worthwhile endeavor? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a lot of will in the industry to look at sustainability and to be more sustainable. But it's not always been easy because sometimes it costs more. Sometimes it's a lot more effort. And that's why I think our collective voices are so important in actually saying, well, we only want to work with organizations that are sustainable or are making taking those steps. So, you know, it, it's about being persistent, but also about recognizing that out there, there are lots of fantastic destinations, hotels, convention centers, who are really doing extraordinary things. And if you ask, then they'll tell you what they're doing and they can help you. And, and they're the people that can really help. Or, you know, talking to a general service contractor. And at the end of the day, we said to them, well, we, we don't want to throw the carpet away at the end show so what can you do with it and why can't we use recycled carpet and so in the end through those questions they are the people that have found those solutions and of course now they can use them for other events as well so that's the key thing ask the questions and and don't take no for an answer <laughs> i suppose wonderful we've spoken a, a bit about imax's commitment to sustainability. I understand that on the office side, there really is a family culture to it. It's a family business. It has family roots. Could you share a little bit more about how this sort of family mentality is reflected in the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, 
Absolutely. I mean, it is a family business. Uh, my father, Ray, is still heavily involved. Obviously, I'm the CEO and a number of our senior management team and directors and um, have been with the business for as long as it's uh, been going. So there's that um, family sort of consistency. We also have a really strong engagement program in the office. So um, obviously, we're 65 people now. So it's also a different business to when you're kind of 15 or 20. So we do measure the engagement through a service called Culture Amp. We have monthly kind of, we call it our Wheel of Fortune. So um, staff can nominate each other if they've done great things that align to our values and they get little prizes. We have random acts of fun. So we don't tell the team about it, but, you know, they might come in and there's like chocolate on their desks or we might have a professional barista making them coffee or we had a really great Easter bonnet parade a few weeks ago. So just fun stuff, really. And then we also, we started about a year ago bringing in, uh, well, we, we have first Friday. So the first Friday of every month, uh, we just stop work a little bit early and have drinks. And it's a time that we can catch up with each other and people in other teams. And then about every other month, roughly, we bring in speakers who, and um, they come in to speak to us uh, for a charitable donation. Um, but the aim really is to bring in people who are like from a completely different walk of life. So the last person we had was someone who is a former aid worker and he ran charity um, supporting me the mental health of aid workers. We've had professional footballers come in, a virtuoso violinist. So just people that like can come in and give you a bit of perspective about a totally different world. But there's always something that links, you know, that you can learn from their management style or leadership. And yeah, that's been really, really interesting to have those people come in. Something you mentioned there was a, a mental health worker and bringing somebody from that background into the office environment. I know the meetings industry can be extremely stressful. I mean, there are all sorts of statistics, one of the most stressful jobs out there. How do you create an environment that is perhaps more safe or supportive of those circumstances? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because I think that there are a couple of few issues that are becoming more and more important, mental health, and then linked to that, the whole idea of diversity and inclusion. So we do have a diversity and inclusion policy. We have something called squads. So when there are issues like sustainability or um, diversity and inclusion, which are sort of across the whole business, we have people within the business who want to influence that come together in squads, so from different teams, to help us make sure that we're getting that right. So we have got a squad for diversity and inclusion. And um, so there are a lot of things that we do through that. And we also have things like a 24-7 helpline we fund so that um, any of our staff, if they want, even if they wanted financial advice or they want to talk to someone about their kids or it might be more serious mental health issues, it's a confidential service that, uh, and totally independent service that they can call. So we have things like that, but I think the main thing is about the culture and is there sort of a safe culture that they know there's somebody in the team that they go to, that they'll be supported, that it's not going to be frowned upon, and that they feel able to tell us really if they're struggling. And that, I guess, is the, the key thing that I would absolutely hope that we do for people. 
because ultimately you want people to come to work. They spend a huge amount. Every We all spend a huge amount of time at work that you can come in and feel that you're amongst sort of friends and colleagues and people that you can confide in, even if it's one person and that you won't be judged and that somebody will listen to you. And that's the main thing, that people aren't fearful for their jobs really, and their job security because they're going through those issues. So I hope that that's the culture that we provide. And that's certainly our aim. Definitely. So you mentioned your interest in uh, supporting diversity and inclusion in the workplace and your commitments to that. I understand that you currently are a mentor in the Fast Forward 15 and this is a mentorship program which annually gives 15 women the opportunity to be mentored, encouraged, and advised by event industry experts like yourself for one year. Uh, how did you get involved with this program? Um, so I met the lady who set up this program about five years ago. Um, I'd known about her through the industry for a while, but I met her properly about 18 months ago. I was on a couple of sort of speaking panels with her and so when she was looking for mentors for this year's program she reached out and asked if I'd be interested and um, I'm really excited to take part in that it's a great opportunity we actually have the launch event yesterday in London and it was like the graduation ceremony of last year's 15 and then the launch of this year's 15 and um, just hearing the stories of those people who've been through that program was really inspiring and so yeah I just I'm excited to be a part of it and to learn as well um, from the program how to be a better mentor. Wonderful. Uh, so what sort of tips would you have for, say, a young woman who is seeking a mentor outside of a more structured program like Fast Forward 15? Yeah, I think the main thing is to not be scared to ask people, actually. Even if you're, you know, you might not feel comfortable asking someone first off, will you be my mentor? But I think to just not be afraid to ask for advice or, you know, if there are people in the industry that you really admire, reach out to them and say, you know, would you mind having a coffee with me at this event? I'd really like to ask you about whatever. And, you know, it won't all stick, but you will connect with some of those people. And I, I find generally, you know, we're very, you know, we're event professionals at the end of the day. So we're a pretty outgoing, friendly industry. And I think people really enjoy helping other people and being asked questions and being asked to help. And there are so many people out there who are both qualified and happy to help. So I would just say, you know, don't be too shy about it and, you know, pick people's brains and, and just connect with people. Put yourself out there. Uh, who's another influential marketing or events executive who you think is a leader in the field right now? Um, well, I certainly, I mean, th there were so many. I mean, there was just, you know, the Smart Women's event, I think, yesterday in Las Vegas. You know, there are so many influential and amazing people out there. But I, I would say, you know, having been to the launch of Fast Forward 15 yesterday, I would have to point to Faye Sharp, who set up that initiative, because to do that as a volunteer to the professional level that she is running that year on year, is really extraordinary and she's really impacting so many people's lives. So um, I just really think that what she's done is amazing. What's one thing you think that businesses do not focus enough on when it comes to events? I'd say that the key thing is probably strategy because um, I think we're getting better at it, but you know, 
businesses, so if you're a business and you want to put on an event, before you decide you want to put on an event in this location, really the question is, what are your objectives and then what's the best way to achieve them? And then a face-to-face event will come into that and then you can work out what that event should look like. And I think just flipping that conversation around would actually, it is much more valuable for the industry because at the end of the day, a good event should really uphold and move forward a business's objectives and strategic goals. And if we position live events in that way, then we no longer are simply a cost center. And, you know, when the economy isn't doing so well, it's no longer so easy to just cut out the annual event because actually it's understood that that event is a part of achieving or overachieving the business goals. And I think that's really important for our industry and for businesses to understand. So I think if we can do that better, that would serve both businesses and also our industry very well. I agree. Uh, so you've had a, a varied <laughs> and uh, interesting and successful career, but if you could go back earlier and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, that's. Um, I thought about that a lot. I'm, there is quite a lot of advice I would probably <laughs> give myself. And I think certainly one of the things that I would definitely do better if I could do it again is understand the value of not jumping straight into everything and just getting in the weeds and just doing it, but actually planning forward better and allowing myself time to step back and plan and really see things from the outside. Because when you do that, you just get a much better sense of what the priorities are, what they're not, and how you can take um, a business or an event forward. So just having that planning time would be really important. Definitely. Okay, so it's time where we get to, I, I think, perhaps the most important question here in the whole entire interview. Uh, I understand that, you know, you know a lot about coffee. Coffee is a big deal at IMEX. Of course, you had to help run a very successful coffee chain. And I, I know that whenever you're traveling, you typically have good favorite coffee spots. I'm going to be in Las Vegas next week. Where could I get a good cup of joe? Firstly, I would say that the Sands, if you're in the Sands, does have a pretty good little brand for coffee. And I understand that Mandalay just got a new coffee shop as well, but I haven't tried it yet. But my favorite, actually, that I found last year is called Vesta Coffee Roasters. And it's in the Arts District, South Casino Center Boulevard. And that was a fantastic coffee. And that's kind of like, it's more like what I call European coffee. <laughs> or you, do you know Blue Bottle that's in? Um, yes. Yeah. So Blue Bottle. Yeah, over in California quite, a lot. Yeah, exactly. Not quite Blue Bottle um, standard, but getting up there. Um, so that's oh, wow. what I would uh, recommend. Fantastic. And would you recommend just getting a plain coffee there? Cappuccino, latte? I always like either a flat white or a cappuccino, but I only like a cappuccino if it's a really small one. You know, you have to have the milk and espresso balance just right. You don't want it too milky. So if it's a big milky one, then I would go for a flat white or a cortado. Okay. So definitely need to to do some research. Um, Final question. How do you stay inspired and keep your creative instincts fresh? 
I think actually what a key way I do that is by going to different events in the industry, outside of the industry, speaking to, you know, people outside of our business all the time and reading as well, you know, and listening to podcasts, you know, everything from Freakonomics, the Harvard Business Review, and just being involved in the different industry trade associations. I, I really get a lot from that. And it just exposes me to different people and different ways of working. You know, we're, we're a relatively small business. So to get insight from people in big corporations, for example, is really interesting. So I think traveling and being involved in the industry and going to different events really is what keeps the creative instinct fresh and being open to those different ideas. Love it. All right, Karina, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Karina Bauer, for joining us here today. It was really, really rewarding to hear about a lot of the great work that IMEX is doing in terms of how they are shaping the culture of their organization and also the event space as a whole. If you think anyone else in your network, your coworker, your boss, your neighbor across the street or across the hallway would find this conversation valuable, please, please share it. If you have any guests you'd like to see featured on the show, you can submit them via the forum on our podcast homepage. If you have any comments or topics you'd like to see us talk about, please drop us a line at in-person at bizabo.com. Once again, that's in-person at bizabo.com. We really, really want to hear what you have to say. Until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson, and this has been In Person.